So who is the, um, who is the real Jesus? Um, that's what we've been thinking about in these chapters 5 to 10 of John. Um, and actually, it's the, uh, a valid question to ask, of course, of the whole gospel. Who is the real Jesus? We in the UK, of course, we might have come across several sorts of Jesus, um, like the fictitious Jesus, maybe. Um, I was looking at some research in the week that, that suggested, uh, it was research on people's religious beliefs, uh, which suggested that 40% of adults in the UK are not even sure whether Jesus was a historical figure or not, um, despite the, the, uh, the massive amounts of evidence for that. But, but So you might, you might uh, be thinking about the fictitious Jesus when you think about Jesus. But, but even those who, who believe that Jesus was historical and not mythical, um, even amongst those people, there's massive confusion about who the real Jesus is, isn't there? There's nostalgia Jesus, of course. That's very popular um, in, in this country. The Jesus who kind of invokes sentimental memories of, of times and values gone by. But really, a Jesus that in today's world is, is just not fit for purpose. You know, so kind of languishes on a on a dusty shelf somewhere. Um, there's hippie Jesus, of course, who's who's only there to tell us really to give peace a chance, um, or that all you need is love, uh, or something like that. There's yuppie Jesus, of course, very popular. He's just there to help me reach my full potential, uh, grant me success and prosperity, and uh, in in the things that I do. There's open-minded Jesus, of course, who just affirms whatever the current culture seems to think is. Is, is appropriate. There's insurance policy, Jesus. Uh, of course, a Jesus that most of the time we don't need to refer to. Um, he's kind of there in the filing cabinet, as it were. But he'll be there for me if I need him. You know, if I need someone to pray to in a crisis or if I need to feel safe. But then I can just kind of forget him and put him back in the filing cabinet when I'm feeling okay again. Or there's therapy, Jesus, of course, who's just there to make me feel better about myself. In a world full of make-believe Jesus is like that. The Gospel of John presents to us the real Jesus. So not simply the Jesus of our imaginations, but the real Jesus of the Bible. Indeed, he's written his book. So, so he tells us at the end of his book in chapter 20, verse 31. He's written his book so that those who read it, like, like we've been doing over these last few weeks, may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing might have life in his name. In other words, everything that John's written in his gospel, all the evidence that he's gathered and recorded for us of the real, actual Jesus is in order to convince us about his identity and his work so that we would respond to him with the kind of belief that leads to life, life in him. And, and if you've been with us as we, we've, we've been going through chapters 5 to 10, um, it's the last instalment of that this week, um, you'll have seen that this is what John wants for us. He wants us to see his real identity, that he is the Son of God, that the, the promised Messiah of God, the rescuer that God promised to send. He, he has wanted us to see his real mission. In other words, the work which we've seen, his work, which we've seen is to, is to bring life, eternal life, life with God forever, and also to judge We've been seeing that, haven't we? He's also wanted us to see, actually, the real hostility to Jesus, which has come, actually, from God's historic old covenant people, people who are rejecting him and kind of wanting him out of the way. We've seen all of those things in these chapters, haven't we? There's been no lack of evidence 
Um, if you think about his real identity as God's son, you could, we could have looked at chapter 5, verse 18. The religious rulers wanted to kill him because he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Or, or, or there was chapter 9, verse 33, after seeing him heal a blind man that the people noted, if this man is not from God, he could do nothing. See, there's no lack of evidence about Jesus' identity. We've seen his real mission to bring eternal life and and, and judgment. For example, in chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus says, Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't pass into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Or or chapter 6, verse 47, he says, Whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Or in chapter 9, verse 39, for judgment I came into the world. That those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. No lack of evidence about his identity or his mission. And and there's been no lack of evidence around about the real hostility to Jesus that's come from his historic people, is there? Who have tried to kill him in chapter 5, verse 18, or have accused him of being raving mad and and demon-possessed in in chapter 10, verse 20. And, and, And so it goes on. And of course, the hostility to Jesus that we see here in, in the Jews is really nothing different to what we see today in our own hearts, is it? You, you don't need to spend much time having conversations with people about Jesus to realize that people are not neutral about Jesus. We, we, like, we like to think we are, don't we? We like to think it's all very factual, it's all about the evidence, we'll go where the evidence leads us. But actually, we don't, do we? As, as we've seen here in John, the, the evidence for who Jesus is and what he's come to do is, is massive. But what is also apparent is that people are naturally opposed to him. We don't want to go where the evidence leads us because we don't want Jesus in our lives. We want to live for ourselves. We don't want to live for him. But what is also apparent, and we'll see this this morning, is that Jesus has come with all the power to snatch us out of our opposition to him and give us life with him forever. So let's have a look at these final verses in in, in chapter 10, which describe um, an encounter between the true shepherd and some false sheep. And and as we look at these verses, I want us to ask ourselves whether we are true sheep of Jesus or not. Uh, You might remember from last week that the first half of the passage, Jesus told a parable didn't he, about, about a shepherd and some sheep, which that was a kind of common enough scene in, a, in an agricultural society, something they could all relate to. But actually, it was more than just that, wasn't it? Because Jesus was picking up a, a common image from the Old Testament of God's people as his sheep, his, his flock, and of the religious leaders of the people as the shepherds of the sheep who were to care for and nurture and, and feed the sheep. But, but the trouble was, of course, that a lot of the time they didn't. They were corrupt and self-serving shepherds. They were fleecing the sheep. And so God, through the prophet Ezekiel, remember we looked at chapter 34 of Ezekiel last week, God, through the prophet Ezekiel, was pointing the people forward to a time that would come when he would judge the bad shepherds and rescue the sheep, and then he himself would become their shepherd through the shepherd king that he would send, the true shepherd, the good shepherd. 
And then last week we saw Jesus saying, look, chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. In other words, he's the shepherd that God promised to send, to to judge the bad shepherds, to rescue the sheep, to be the true shepherd. And and so the challenge to us last week was, was to ask ourselves whether we are following the true shepherd or not. And and you can see here that the imagery continues of sheep and shepherds. It's in these verses as well. Only the challenge here, the question to ask ourselves here, is that if Jesus is the true shepherd, well, am I a true sheep of the true shepherd? Am I really part of his flock? I think that's the question before us this morning. So let's have a look, first of all, in in verses 22 to 30, by seeing the, the true Shepherd. Have a look at verse uh, verse 22. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. Uh, Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So we can see the scene, can't we? It's, it's uh, Solomon's colonnade within the temple. Probably Jesus had been teaching there. It's wintertime. In fact, it's December. Uh, we know it's December because that's when the Feast of Dedication took place uh, each year, which, which John tells us was, was, was going on at the time. That, that's the uh, kind of eight-day festival, also known as Hanukkah. Uh, it was the eight-day festival that was celebrated each year to mark the, uh, the rededication of the, the temple after it had been uh, uh, liberated around 164 BC, I think, with the, the Maccabean Revolt, if you want to look that up in your history books. So there's this, there's this celebratory feast going on. Jesus is walking in Solomon's colonnade when, when the Jewish leaders, uh, remember the leaders that have been opposing him right through these chapters, they surround him and, and they ask him a question, verse 24, don't keep us in in suspense any longer Jesus if you are the Christ just tell us plainly now on the surface of it that could sound like an innocent enough question couldn't it you know motivated by genuine interest but actually it's it's far from that because uh, if you've been with us as, as we've gone through the earlier chapters you'll know that these Jewish religious leaders they have witnessed Jesus signs his his miracles that have clearly pointed to who he is, like, like healing the paralyzed man in chapter 5, like healing the blind man uh, in, in chapter 9. These Jews weren't stupid. They know full well that mere people can't do those kind of things. So they'd seen Jesus doing what only God can do and, and bring supernatural healing to people. But what we've also seen is that those same Jews responded to Jesus' teaching with hostility. Indeed, already on two occasions, chapter 5, chapter 8, those same Jews have tried to kill Jesus. So they're not asking this question, you know, Jesus, tell us plainly if you're the Messiah. They're not asking that out of genuine interest. They're asking it because they're hostile to him and they want him out the way. And and, and so they, they want to trick him into making a plain, open admission that he is God's Messiah so that they'll have the justification they're looking for to make another attempt on his life and just get him out the way. And, and you can see this by the way that Jesus responds to them. Look, in, um, in verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe them because you're not part of my flock. Did you see the point? They've heard what Jesus taught 
what I told you, verse 25, and they've seen the works that Jesus has done, the miracles that he's performed, also verse 25, all of which he says he does in his Father's name, and all of that together, he says, bears witness about me. In other words, his words and his work speak for themselves about who he is. Just look at his teaching, look at his miracles. Who else could it be other than God's promised king? His, his Messiah, his Christ. The, the evidence is, is substantial and, and compelling. And yet, in spite of all that evidence that they'd seen, Jesus says to them, you don't believe. And the reason you don't believe, he says, verse 26, is not because of the lack of evidence, but you don't believe because you are not part of my flock. He's picking up on that shepherd-sheep metaphor again, isn't he? He's saying that he is the good shepherd of Ezekiel 34, that the true shepherd of God's people come to rescue them, come to lead them. But you, he says, are not part of my flock. They've seen, they've heard everything they needed to in order to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the shepherd king, his teaching, his signs. They speak for themselves. But actually, they've stubbornly refused to believe what they've seen and recognize Jesus for who he is. And that proves that they're not his sheep. You see? Why does it prove that? Well, he tells them that. Look in verse 27. Because my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You see? The fact of these Jews' refusal to believe is the proof that they're not his sheep because his sheep follow him. His sheep are characterized by the fact that when they hear his voice, they follow him. But these people are not following him, they're rejecting him. They're refusing to believe what they've seen and heard of Jesus. And that refusal to believe is the proof that they're not, in fact, Jesus' sheep. That's a pretty blunt statement from Jesus, isn't it? And a statement that he's just made to a bunch of religious leaders. I am God's true shepherd, he says, but you are not one of the sheep. And the proof that you're not one of the sheep is your refusal to believe in me. Do you see there how, um, how Jesus understands that people are not neutral about him? That believing in him is not about following the evidence. Because people's natural inclination towards him is one of opposition. The Bible talks a lot about this. Um, it, it traces our, our problem with Jesus to be not just a problem of knowledge, but ultimately a problem of pride. So a, a hardening of the human heart against Jesus. A, a spiritual blindness is, is what Jesus uh, uh, calls it in chapter 9. And you see it in other places as well. Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul says, those who don't believe are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. In other words, there's a kind of, there's a deadness to spiritual things. There's a hardness within the human heart in those who don't believe in Jesus. And and if you're someone who doesn't believe in and follow the Lord Jesus, maybe you can even feel a bit of that right now it's it's actually grating isn't it for for the bible to tell us that if we're not 
trusting in Jesus, it's because our hearts are hard. Do you find that grating? You might be thinking, how dare someone tell me that? I'm just following the evidence. The Bible says no, actually. It's not about the evidence. There's loads of that. It's that there is this spiritual blindness. There's this hardness in the human heart that has such a grip on us that we refuse to believe the evidence in front of us. Indeed, Jesus, Jesus says in, in uh, Luke 16, uh, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, that, that we will not turn to him even if one should rise from the dead, which, of course, Jesus did. And, and, and the evidence for that is, over, is overwhelming as well. And and it's because of this heart problem that we all have that Jesus says here in verse 26 that it's only his sheep who will believe. And and you know, there's there's actually great news in, in that. Because God doesn't leave everyone in that state of hard heartedness towards him. He works to transform the hearts of those who are naturally inclined to reject him. The the image that the the book of Ezekiel uses to to talk about this is the image of God replacing a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. In other words, taking out the hard heart, replacing it with a heart that is is sensitive to who he is. Do you you see? Friends, only God can do that. Only God can transform a heart that's naturally opposed to Jesus into a heart who sees him for who he really is and so believes in him. It's like Jesus puts it in chapter 9. Do you remember? I came into this world that those who do not see may see. In other words, he's come to bring sight to the the spiritually blind. He's come to replace the heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And this is why he says to the religious leaders what he says. It's not because he wants to leave them in their hard-heartedness. It's because he wants to convict them of it so that they will turn and believe in him. And friends, Jesus' words to them here, might they just also be his words to you this morning? Um, I wonder if you're a good debater. Are you, are you, are you a good debater? If you are, have you ever found yourself, um, have you ever found yourself winning a debate with someone, even though you know deep down that they're right? You, you, ever, you ever felt that way? I've certainly had that experience. I've, I've come away having won a debate not because I was right, I don't think I was, but just because maybe my debating skills are a bit sharper on the day. And maybe you've had discussions with, with people about Jesus. Maybe you've, maybe you've been able to stump your Christian opponent a few times. You know, as, as every question of yours that they answer, you can come back with another few that they'll struggle with. But as you've walked away from the discussion, have you ever had that feeling that actually it's they who were right about Jesus all along? That despite the way the discussion went, actually deep down, you think, well, Jesus has to be who he claims to be. just has to be. And, and that his death on the cross really is what, what he said it was. It is the rescue that I need. It is the payment for my sin. It is the only hope to be put right with the God that I know I'm rebelling against. Ever, ever felt like that? Well, friends, Jesus says here, verse 26, 27, That his sheep, those who belong to him, are those who hear his voice and follow him. And and those who who just keep refusing to do that, just keep pushing him away and rejecting him, well, by that very action, just prove that they're not his. 
And that really becomes important when we read the next few verses. Look, have a, have a look at, um, at verse 28. Um, because Jesus there says, I give them eternal life and they'll never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. You see the, um, you see the blessings there of belonging to Jesus, of being in his flock? I give them eternal life, says Jesus. They will never perish. Do you see what he, he promises? He promises eternal life with God in, in his kingdom and eternal security such that nothing or no one can ever snatch you away from him. Isn't that amazing? But friend, who is it for? Who are the ones that, that will inherit eternal life with God? Who, who are these people who will never perish but will be safe with God forever? It's not those who keep rejecting Jesus, is it? Like, like these religious leaders or, 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 or maybe like us. No, it's those whom he knows and who know him. Such that when they hear his voice, his, his message of, of rescue, his call to follow them, they follow him. They do follow him. In other words, this is what he does for his sheep. For those who hear his voice and follow him. It's not what he does for those who are not his sheep. Those who reject him. And how come Jesus can do that for his sheep? Well, it's because of who he is. It's because Jesus is God. Did you notice verse 29? It's God the Father who gives the sheep to Jesus. So he does the, the, the work of transforming people's hearts so that they will believe and come to Jesus, which is why no one can snatch them away uh, again. And Jesus says, verse 30, I and the Father are one. In other words, his, his will and his work is synonymous with the Father's. They're identical, do you see? That the sheep are safe because the Father and the Son are one. To, to, to be safe in the hand of Jesus is to be safe in the hand of the Father. So the, well, the Jews had asked their question, hadn't they? Tell us plainly if you're the Christ, they said. Um, actually, Jesus has said a lot more to them than that. Hasn't he? He's shown them that his teaching and his miracles speak for themselves about who he is. There is no lack of evidence that Jesus is the true shepherd. But the reason they don't believe in him is because they don't belong to him. Because those who belong to him believe in him. They hear his voice, he knows them, and they follow him. So what does all that mean for us then? Well, surely the question that's begging here is not, is Jesus the true shepherd? Because his words and his works speak for themselves about who he is. No, the question that's begging here is, am I a true sheep? Am I listening to his voice and am I following him? And to help us with answering that question... Have a quick look at the remaining verses in, in 31 to 42, where we meet some false sheep. So uh, have a look at verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? 
But Jesus answered him, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. So one thing's for certain there. They definitely understand what Jesus is claiming, don't they? He's claiming that he is the Messiah, the good shepherd. Indeed, he is God, even though they are not his sheep. Oh, they get that all right, don't they? They get it, but they really don't like it. Not one bit. Their blood is boiling. They pick up stones in order to stone him to death, verse 31. But but Jesus is quite, quite calm in the face of all that. And he says to them, verse 32, which one of the many great works from my father are you going to stone me for then? And, and, and you see their reply, uh, look, in, in verse 33, um, it, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. You see, it's not his works that they don't like. It's his word, isn't it? It's what he says. It's what he taught about who he is. That's what's making their blood boil. That They don't mind a Messiah that does miracles, It's a Messiah whose teaching challenges their beliefs and their behavior. That's what they don't like. In other words, Jesus is not the kind of Messiah that they want. They want a Messiah of their own devising. They want a a, a, a Jesus who will affirm them in what they want to do, not challenge them to change. And friends, that is is just the same today, isn't it? Do you know, I, I think there's... I think there's many people around who are perfectly happy to see Jesus as as a good man or a a good example for us to learn from or try to live up to, someone whose morals we might uh, appreciate. Um, Some of those Jesuses we thought about at the beginning. There'd be many people who'd be happy with a hippie Jesus or a yuppie Jesus or a nostalgia Jesus, don't you think? But you see, the moment that you say to someone, no... Jesus is God in the flesh who has come into our world in order to rescue rebellious sinners like you and me. People who live in God's world as though we were God. People who have no time for him and live for ourselves instead such that he had to come and rescue us by dying on a cross and taking on himself the punishment for our sin in our place so that we can be rescued from the consequences of rejecting him and instead have forgiveness and be put right with him forever. And that we therefore need to respond to that rescue offer from Jesus and turn and follow him otherwise we will have to pay the eternal consequences of our sin ourselves. And face eternity without him. See, that Jesus we're not so happy with, are we? That's not what we want to hear. But friends, as as John has shown us time and time again, and and indeed writes right through the Bible, this is who he is and this is his message. And it's not just Jesus' message, is it? It's God the Father's message too, because, verse 36, it's God who consecrated Jesus, who who set Jesus apart and, and sent him into the world. So, so he's, Jesus' point to them is, don't reject my words, but listen to my words because they're my Father's words. They're God's words. And, and then he appeals to them again, doesn't he? Verse 37, look, to examine his works. If I'm not doing the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and that I am in the Father. 
Do you see the point? He's taking them back to the evidence of his word and his works, isn't he? And he's saying, if I'm not doing the works of my father, if these miracles that you've seen me do are not things that only God can do, well, then don't believe my claims. But if you examine the evidence of my works and you rightly see that they could only come from God himself, well, then even if you don't like my claims, believe me on the basis of what you've seen. Believe me on the basis of my works. Do you you see his challenge to them? His his challenge to them is listen to my word. And if you won't believe me on the basis of my word, well, examine my works. Because if you have eyes to see, it's plain enough that my works bear witness to my words. So look at what I do and you can clearly see who I am. That the Father is in me, and that I am in the Father. Verse 38. Follow the evidence trail. Whether whether it's the promises of the Old Testament, whether it's the miracles that were seen by so many, whether it's the clarity and insight of his teaching, it all points with one voice to Jesus Christ and says, He is God's Son. He's the true shepherd in whom there is life. So, friend, for you this morning, if, if you've not done so already... Would you examine the evidence and go where it takes you? Um, you know, we, we run a, a course here very regularly called Christianity Explored, which is it's designed to do just that, actually. Why not have a bash at it? Why not see for yourself who Jesus is? Um, maybe you've done that already. Um, maybe deep down you know that, that Jesus is right, but you're fighting him. Because you know he's calling you to change. Well, Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice and follow me. So instead of finding another objection or another excuse, you know, like we do to kind of bat Jesus off for a bit longer or to to kick the gospel can down the road. Why not listen and follow him now? Just, Just take a step towards Christ. And let him rescue you. At at the end of this chapter, look, there's there's people who didn't believe Jesus. There's people who turned out to be false sheep, not true sheep. Because they responded to Jesus by trying to arrest him. Do you see that? Verse 39, they just wanted him out of the way. Well, they didn't arrest him. Jesus' time to be arrested and, and follow that path to the cross had not yet come. So so he crossed the River Jordan, look, verse 40, to where John the Baptist had previously been been speaking about him. And the response to him there, look, verse 41, was that many came to him. You see, they recognized that what John had taught about him was true and many believed in him. So friends, what about us this morning? You remember that question I asked at the beginning? Um, Question that this passage, I think, just begs us to ask ourselves, it was this, wasn't it? If, if Jesus is the true shepherd, am I really a true sheep of the true shepherd? Am I really part of his flock? Well, there's been no lack of evidence in these chapters, friends. As Jesus himself says, his words and his works bear witness to who he is. So why not go where the evidence leads? And why not follow him today? My sheep listen to my voice and they follow me.
Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we've, um, we've seen Jesus' claims in, this, uh, in these chapters. Um, we've seen him claim that he is the promised Messiah. He's the good shepherd that you promised to send, the, the one who would come and rescue your sheep, the one who would lead us to the safety and security of life eternal with you. We've seen, too, that we prove ourselves to be genuinely your sheep. And and so the recipients of all that, as we listen to the voice of Jesus in in his word to us, the Bible, and and don't reject him but follow him. And so, Father, I pray that you would lead each of us this morning to be asking ourselves whether we are his true sheep. And so respond to him by following him now. And all of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.